Hi, I'm Ryan Schwartz, the host of Architecturally Speaking. Please note that the following episode was recorded before recent changes to the OAA's licensing structure. The OAA technology program and associated membership status no longer apply. The interview still touches on several topics of interest to architects and non-architects alike. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Architecturally Speaking, a new podcast series created by the Ontario Association of Architects. We're pulling back the curtain to explore the architecture profession, what architects do, and how their buildings affect our lives each and every single day. My name is Ryan Schwartz. I'm an architect licensed in Ontario and your host for the series. And today we're speaking with not one but two guests for the first time. We have Vinita Savathasan and Joelle Leon. So in the past few years, they've both overcome a handful of important professional milestones on the road to becoming architects. And that's exactly what we'll be talking about today, becoming an architect. So welcome to you both and thanks for joining. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having Mr. Ian. So I think this will be an interesting episode for the broader audience and especially anyone that's interested in becoming an architect themselves, or maybe they know someone that's interested in becoming an architect. Um, so just for a little bit of context for those folks listening, where are you both roughly in terms of your career? How far along, along are you? And, and Vanitha, we can start with you. Um, I, I'm just waiting for the paperwork, so I'm pretty close. Um, just everything is submitted. Um, just waiting for the actual certification so I can call myself an architect in Ontario. Amazing. Almost there. And what about you, Joel? Um, I'm just a few months ahead. Uh, I got licensed in July and got my paperwork and uh, got it back from the framers in December. So uh, now now it can go on a wall. <laughs> I was going to say, is it on the wall? But almost. Okay, almost. so that's the final oh. step, I guess. Um, so... I guess uh, in terms of that that vein, how how long has it taken you both to get to this point? Uh, I want to say too long, but <laughs> um, but you know you go at your own pace. So I believe it's been um, three and a half years of masters, and then another three to four years of um, uh, getting getting your experience and doing your exam and whatnot. So um, it's just. You know, whenever you feel like you're ready to go ahead and have enough experience to write the exam, so you can go at your own pace. And what about yourself, Joelle? How long uh, has it taken you to get to this point? Um, for me, I can I can give some dates because I have them right in front of me. Um, <laughs> I got my undergraduate in 2011, then my master's in 2015. Uh, at that time, U of T had a weird uh, three and a half year master's, so it took that much longer. Uh, now yeah. it's down to three, uh, and I just got licensed in July. Uh, so I don't want to add all of, all those years because yes, it feels like <laughs> a long time. Um, but but it's been a journey. <laughs> it really adds up. So it's it's quite a process to get a license. It's a bit of a marathon. Um, so it probably makes sense. There's a lot of steps kind of involved in this process. So it probably makes sense to go back to the beginning, and we can kind of walk through this chronologically. So how did you both stumble upon architecture in the first place? What what interested you or where did this this interest for architecture buildings, where did this come from? Um, I can start. Um, I actually got into the UFD program for um, economics and math major. And um, while I was doing that during the first year, I realized that I don't want to go ahead with a math major. It's not, <laughs> you know... I like math, but I don't love math enough to <laughs> put myself through all that. Um, and I, I took a lot of art history and architecture history courses as options to keep, because um, I always loved drawing and um, painting and being creative that way. So I took a lot of those courses and I realized, oh, architecture is where I could sort of combine can marry those my love things. for math, science, and practical thinking, as well as to be creative and um from then on i decided okay this is what i want to be doing and this is what i enjoy doing and i guess part of it might be slightly hereditary because my dad was a civil engineer from sri lanka so you know he's always building things and i i watch him do that so <laughs> it's always been embedded a in little some bit ways. of influence there yeah for sure yeah <laughs> what about you joelle um Mine came maybe a little bit earlier, already in high school when I was trying to consider what I was going to do. Uh, architecture was kind of uh, one of the two things. It was either going to be politics or architecture, uh, <laughs> two 
two seemingly very different fields, but there's actually quite a lot in common about convincing people uh, to, to believe in what you're doing. Um, but um, a lot of it had to do with the um, education I got in Venezuela. Um, in, um, it is a very robust education in arts as well. So we had architecture and art history throughout all my life. Uh, we did models for different classes. Uh, so awesome. uh, when I started architecture school, I already had a kind of working knowledge roughly of what architects do. Uh, and then it was to, just trying to figure out what was the path uh, in Canada, uh, which is very different because there aren't undergrads really that are a professional degree in architecture, right? And so um, when I was looking at universities here, I was like, wait, they don't teach architecture? Where do we even begin? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, there's a lot of steps in the process and we'll, we'll get through those. So um, that kind of brings me to my next question. You both mentioned uh, school a little bit and Stepping back then to high school, if if there's a student out there that's thinking about becoming an architect, is there particular classes or like art sciences? What do you think provides a good foundation for for going that direction, or maybe both, or something else? I, I mean, mean, art I, science. Sorry, go ahead, what Anita. Um, I would say art science and um, physics that are sort of prerequisites. Um, Maybe not arts. I think it's uh, physics and math that they sort of asked as a prerequisite. Um, but also, if you want to um, sort of expand yourself and have more of an advantage, I would say um, taking computer um, graphic design related courses, so AutoCAD or um, the or Adobe Suites, Photoshop, Illustrator, those would definitely put you at an advantage. Um, technically so that you know you know the basis of the software so everything else you can sort of figure out and it'll make it easier um sorry to yeah no i mean uh <laughs> interesting enough i um i i, I was going to kind of encourage there's there's kind of those base courses but what i've really observed and like our very long journey of licensing is schools have changed their requirements uh Every few years, uh, they drop the courses that they're going to make prerequisites. They put in new ones. They change their curriculum so much that it's a it's a bit of a, a hard chase of like if you were trying to think, okay, this is really going to get me ready. In part because every school of architecture in Canada is completely different. So some are really technical. Uh, some are more humanities based. Some are big picture. Some you know some are closer to engineering. Uh, and so I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, um, you, you can be pretty broad in what you take. There are a lot of programs in Canada that do not have prerequisites, uh, to enter into the architecture program, not a ton, but there are some, um, and, and because you still have your undergrad, um, uh, to do, um, you kind of have an opportunity there to maybe explore some courses in architecture while you're doing your undergrad, kind of figure out if you really want to do it as a profession. Uh, because if you don't have that exposure kind of before um, you, you start university, uh, it's not a bad idea to start diving in uh, early, but kind of taking a peek, see if that's really the fit and what you think architecture is, whether whether that's really what you're getting into. Uh, because, yeah, it's very different. And, and people who studied in Waterloo or studied at U of T or studied at Ryerson have completely different uh, um, experiences of, like, what their coursework were and, like, uh, whether you needed math or not or whether you needed physics or not. I agree. And, um, yeah, it's I... a little bit of just a broad general education in a bunch of different things that will kind of give you a nice little baseline. And um, can I just add that... Um, you know, we're more than happy to talk to any um, students um, who are looking to pursue a career in architecture. And I've talked to people before and they just have general questions about what it's like. And people are also happy to have you shadow them and see what you do day to day. And it's just a matter of finding architects and that could be done through the OA website. And then you know, just contact them and say, you know, looking at a career in architecture, can I have half an hour of your time? And and it's easier with Zoom or, you know, so you don't totally. have to meet in person if you don't want to. And it's, you know, I think I would encourage that just to know what you're, what you're doing and what to look forward to. Um, that's just another little note. Totally. Yeah, I found 
most architects are more than willing to give a little bit of time to someone that's interested and and share their their experiences along the way and and we can um we can get into some more contact information at the end then too for yourselves and for the oaa um so at this point high school's done what's next you're moving on to an undergraduate degree or a technical diploma um what's the next step after high school maybe joelle we'll start with you yeah so i mean uh in canada you really have kind of a uh, two options uh, at that point um, there is kind of the, the longer path, uh, which is if, you know, you're, you're aiming to be, uh, an architect, uh, then you're going to do kind of an undergraduate, uh, in one of the accredited schools of architecture. There's only 14 of them. So, uh, not as much choice as there are with other degrees you, you and they're all quite different. Um, or, um, you can become an architectural technologist, uh, and that is a, a different path. Uh, it is through colleges, the college system, uh, and those are three-year degrees as opposed to kind of the four-year undergraduate degree. Um, and there's also paths for licensure for architectural technologists, as well as there's paths for uh, different kinds of work. And and both of them work in architectural offices. Both of them do a lot of the very similar work as well. <laughs> um, so it really is kind of which is the better path for each person. Anything to add, Vanita? And um, at least for the UFC program, when I was there, you don't need to have um, a degree in architecture for your bachelor's to do your master's. And there are a few universities who offer that. So I had friends who did um, biology or um, finance, and then they decided, you know, architecture is what they want to do. So they pursue their master's. So that is a possibility. I didn't do my bachelor's in architecture. I did economics and uh, architect, uh, visual, uh, sorry, art history. Oh my gosh, it's been a while. Um, uh, so my degrees somewhat relate, but not completely. So I didn't have the studio experience like um, anyone who did their bachelor's in architecture would have. So that is a possibility if you have different interests and you do take a lot of knowledge from doing a bachelor's in a different um, uh, part or a different industry and then you bring it to your architecture master's and there's a wide range of uh, uh, knowledge that you have that you can you know uh, use so that is another option. I think that's a, a great point and it'll be encouraging for some people too to know that you don't have to pick this career choice when you're 18 or something you can be quite a ways down the road and completely switch and still, you know, become an architect and do what you need to do. And, and you can make that switch later in life. And I'd say in my class, there was at least 25 to maybe 40% of the, of the students came from a completely different background. So um, it's always kind of nice to get that, that influx of different disciplines and things too. So that's great. Um, so the next step, shocker, is more schooling. You finish your undergraduate degree and the next step is a master's. What, what can you tell us about that? Um... Well, for that one, um, again, every school is really different. You have those 14 schools that can kind of give a master's of architecture in Canada. Um, so what you're guaranteed because they're accredited is that they all cover the basics. Uh, all the regulators in architecture have gotten together and have said, this is what you need to teach. Uh, and you need to make sure people know this before they get out of school. So you kind of know you're covered in that aspect with all the schools. But how they teach it can be radically different. Uh, and some masters are very short uh, and compared to others. So some are a two-year degree. Um, some are a th now a three-year. I don't think anyone has any more three and a half. Um, and then uh, some are co-op. Uh, so you get to do placements as part of uh, your masters. And others are, you know, kind of just straight through. You're, you're just doing classes, right? And And... It's a long path. Uh, you feel you've had a lot of education and then you're still doing more education, right? You're, we're talking about uh, six to, uh, to eight years. Um, and some of them have requirements uh, to have a degree before, uh, the more technical, like the shorter ones. Others, though, uh, don't like the U of T one. Uh, that's the same one uh, Vanitha uh, and I did. Uh, so um, we had a very diverse class. So your first year ends up being kind of a I almost say a skill leveling year. Um, you're learning a lot about people who didn't do their undergraduate in architecture, 
and those who didn't do architecture are quickly learning uh, drawing and modeling to kind of catch up on those skills. Um, and, and and yeah, it's it's a it's a very intense masters, I will say, um, almost uh, monastic because uh, you don't really <laughs> leave the studio. <laughs> We'll definitely dive into that. And so <laughs> what about you, Vinita? Anything to add in terms of um, the master's part, the master's portion? I mean, I, I was one of those people who went in without um, what to expect. And I thought, you know, it'll be like my bachelor's program where I go into class and I I study or do my essays, you know, uh, a week or two beforehand. And that's how it's going to be, you know. But you know, I was proven wrong that it's a full day and night sort of a course and it's intense. I'm not going to lie. So first semester, at least you take it as um, to see if that's a type of uh, program you want to be in. And if that's a culture that you want to do for the, it gets easier. But first semester as someone who's going in there without any sort of background knowledge about studio culture or the architecture program itself. It was tough. I'm not gonna say. <laughs> I was. Um, I didn't even know how to use the softwares actually. So I knew Photoshop and the Adobe suites, but um, Rhino or uh, AutoCAD and Revit, I didn't know how to do. And there was some training provided, but it wasn't enough to know to the extent of what we needed to do and the complex projects we had to do. Um, so I had to teach myself all those pretty quickly, YouTube videos and books. Um, so it's a full-time or 24-hour sort of endeavor. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, there's a few things you learn along the way and you get better at it. And and then you know, you know, by second year, you know the software as well and you know how to find the resources and what is expected. So you get better and you, you adapt and you survive, but you take first semester as an opportunity to sort of say, okay, this is what I really want to do. You know, if you don't want to do it, then I would just wouldn't pursue, right? If that's not what your, where your passion is at, then it just seems like a waste of time. Um, and you would rather be doing something else you're passionate about. Um, it's not to scare you. I'm just telling sort of the realities of of the program itself is just um but at the end of it i think you will feel like you achieve something so so big because when you start <laughs> off it's like oh no i don't know how i'm gonna survive this but you come out of it oh remember i didn't know how to draw stairs and then it was somebody a reviewer had commented it looked like a coke screw because i didn't know it had to be 90 degrees because i it didn't come to my mind and then <laughs> But then by the time I was like 30, I'm like, I know how to do stairs now, you know, <laughs> you know, I was teaching people. So it's just, you know, you get better at it, just like any program. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. And you also have to learn the tools at the same time. And it's, it can be pretty overwhelming. There's, I think every, I'd be curious to see what the, the dropout rate would be after a semester or something, because I'm sure it's, it's probably up there. I don't know if anyone has any idea, but um at I, least, um, I don't know the exact uh, rate, but I know a few people I was in studio with decided it's not something that they want to pursue. And they pursued other similar things. Some people went into interior design and other people went into fashion design and others just said, you know what, like, I don't want to do a master's anymore. I just want to start working and be part of the workforce and see what I want to do. So, um, um, yeah, I was surprised to know that that, you know, out of the 10 or 10 people that were in my studio, at least three of them I didn't see the next semester. So really, yeah. um, that's just my studio. So it could be different for different studios. Yeah. Uh, Joelle, you might have a better uh, numbers. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's been a, a, a study done on it, although I would be uh, very curious to see it as well. Um, but I think the reality is, uh, like any program that is that long, um, you know, um, life happens. Uh, and, yeah. and I think oftentimes we get kind of confused that like licensure and becoming an architect is the only way of working in the industry. 
but there are lots of people who work in architect offices that are not architects um, and and can have the training. Um, And oftentimes it might, well, you know, we didn't talk about kind of the idea of doing a gap year and something between your undergraduate and your master's. And I know quite a few people who have done that. Uh, Actually, uh, a lot of the uh, staff that has worked with us at the Toronto Society of Architects are people doing uh, their gap year. Uh, and that is, you know, you know, you, you do your undergrad, you're still not 100% sure. Maybe you didn't have an opportunity to get uh, exposed to how firms work or, you know, you want to make sure uh, that uh, it's not uh, the horror stories you hear or that it's as good as, you, as you're hearing. Um, and, uh, and taking a year to work in a firm uh, and you might not have a ton of architecture skills at that time, but you already have marketing and communication skills. There's business development in firms. There's administration. Uh, there's opportunities to kind of get a job for a year uh, and and know a little bit more. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of the idea that it's a very long path and you don't have to go where everyone's going at the end of the goal because the reality is not everyone is going there. I think there's kind of that myth that everyone who starts an architecture school is going to become an architect. Very few of the people that were in my year uh, are licensed. Um, many of them kind of took a, an off-wrap on an uh, other adventure in a different, different, different profession or within the profession, but they decided, I'm not going to get licensed. Uh, and, and that's okay too. You kind of have to adjust it to your personal circumstances. Yeah, it's a long road and it's not a race. You can, exactly like you said, there's quite a few sort of uh, careers that are aligned with architecture that aren't necessarily architecture. And, and the skills that you learn, I think, in school, really, they can benefit a number of careers. So that's that's a great point. So, So taking a step back again, what kind of uh, topics are you learning in architecture school? There's studios, there's critiques. You've mentioned a few of these, um, history. What, um, what are you basically learning? What are you learning in architecture school? So I'm going to guess this is going to really, uh, depend on where people, uh, studied, uh, in their architecture school. But, you know, one common format is the studio and studio is basically a really fancy way of saying you're doing a project. Usually it's a semester long project. Uh, and you're making, uh, I'm going to say usually a building. It's not always a building. Uh, that is something about architecture school. You don't always start with a building, uh, or you don't always end with a building. I always find it's either the first year semesters that don't have buildings or the thesis, uh, projects at the end that don't have buildings, uh, in between usually building. Um, and you're working progressively on that project over time. Um, and, and it really, I will say, it's kind of the core of many architecture schools. It's where you spend most of your time uh, because it's your idea, it's your authorship. You're, you know, you're trying to advance something and design something, uh, and you get kind of those critiques, uh, which are a very old school way of evaluating kind of architecture projects. Comes from the Ecole de Beaux Arts uh, in the 1800s. Uh, where, you know, professors would go around in a room and look at your projects and make comments. Uh, Now you're part of it, you present. So uh, there's a lot of presentation skills that come in architecture school. You are standing in front of your jury often and having to explain your project and what was your intention and trying to summarize a semester in like two minutes. Uh, (laughs) So it has to be very quick. And then there's a lot of other, I would say, kind of supportive courses. They might be history, Uh, They might be technical, so you might be learning things like, you know, uh, basics of mechanical or basics of structural. Um, There is usually one professional practice course towards the very, very, very end uh, to start introducing you to, like, the practice of architecture. But I I would say in general, you're not learning necessarily how to practice architecture in Canada. That's not kind of the goal of school. It is instead to kind of understand kind of the... Um, how to make architecture, uh, how, what is architecture, you know, the, the higher level so that when you come out into practice, into reality, uh, and you have all those real constraints of the world, um, you can still hold on to a vision, an idea from beginning to end, uh, and be able to deliver that despite the fact that in the real world, you have a lot more rules than you do in school. <laughs> and I can also add that Apart from sort of the book, textbook sort of knowledge, it's more, like Joelle said, soft skills that you're learning, 
especially communications and presentations, which will carry on and you can transfer to any other profession that you want and also software that you can use for any other profession you want, especially the graphic design skills and um, and uh, even AutoCAD and Revit, which you can doesn't necessarily have to be for architecture, but you can use for interior design or um, structural engineering, landscape engineering, or if you want to do an artwork, you know, you can yeah. do that. And you also learn how to think critically and not just think literally how this is how it should be, but um, you because you're criticized so much for your project that, <laughs> and, and you learn how to think and self-criticize yourself so you you know how to make your project better or sort of think about it that way. It's just like, oh, what is wrong with this idea or what could be done better? And you're always thinking in that way. And you also learn to get a thick skin because you know how <laughs> you can't take everything too personally. <laughs> All these opinions are sort of... Uh, um, subjective and um, everyone's opinion differs because they have their own perspectives and views. So, you know, you had to also sort of, if you believe in the idea, you had to be, you know, uh, stand for it and and think through it and work out some of the problems. So there's a lot of soft skills that you had to learn. And personally, you also had to learn time management and how not to burn out and how to take care of your mental and physical health. And that's something you continue to do even after you graduate from architecture, just like any um, any other profession. So you sort of start to do that if you are conscious of how your mental health or physical health is that, you know, sometimes if you don't, if you miss a meal or you have to make it a point to make sure you take care of all those things. So it's, it's not just architecture, but everything else that combines into it. Um, I also, at UFC, I took a lot more um, sort of my elective courses were in weird sort of courses, sort of like film and architecture or memory and architecture. And those type of courses are, there's one course that was video game and how um, architecture plays a role. and. You know, Minecraft is like one module and how that sort of, they use that one cube to build dragons and castles and people and axes. And I thought that was very interesting. And, um, you know, you can take fun courses as well. It doesn't have to be strictly theoretical and intense. I, I took dictatorship in architecture, which was intense. What? Uh, dictatorship in architecture after 1940. So after World War II. Um, so... So it was just like very interesting sort of courses that you learn a lot more about, a lot more about architecture and the influence and what we can, uh, and it sort of changes your perspective on, oh, it's not just buildings, but there's so many other aspects that it actually plays a role in. So um, I would encourage taking different uh, electives as well and and sort of expand your knowledge. And it'll, uh, it'll also play a role in um, in sort of, shaping how you think when you're designing a building and how you theorize things as well. So, um, yeah. You brought up a really good point and that's time management. And I think that's, that kind of leads into another discussion in terms of the culture of, of architecture school, because it's, it's so for those that haven't been to architecture school, it is very intense. It can be a lot of hours and, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but it's kind of seen as a rite of passage for better or for worse. So maybe we should touch on that for a minute and, and Joelle, you can start just about the culture and how, you know, how to have that work or that student life balance and, and that, you know, the intensity of it all. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, a topic worthy of a podcast all by itself. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, you know, architecture school is, is very intense. Kind of the, the, the idea is that you kind of go in a very short amount of time to learn a lot of things um and so there's a lot of hours and actually when when i was in graduate school i was part of the student union uh and we actually did a uh, mental health survey uh and that was the first time we did that at u of t uh now i think it's become a yearly thing which is really great uh and there's checkpoints throughout the year very different than when we were in school um, and it was interesting. Some of the results, you know, pointed out that, you know, people were spending almost 80 hours a week, uh, inside of the building. 
Uh, and so the building was really your home. You were spending more time there than you were with your family, if you had family. Um, you know, you were very much very intense in, in school. Now, that being said, those 80 hours, uh, some of it is spent on projects and working, uh, but others are spent just uh, getting to know all the other people in the building. And I will say, well, well, there's a lot of negative things that come from that very intense pace of architecture school. Uh, you know, you have to be aware of your own physical health, of your own mental health, of making sure you're exercising, taking breaks, things like that. The really good thing is um, the friendships you form and the relationships you form and the people you meet in architecture school. Um, it's a very small profession really here in Canada. Uh, the people you meet in architecture school, you will know them for the rest of your life. You will cross paths many times throughout school. Uh, and so taking the time to kind of form those friendships and those networks, you know, there were, there were people who do go to architecture school and I find it's people who are later in their career. Um, they maybe are coming back for their masters after working for many years at a firm or something. Um, and they treat it like a nine to five job. They come in, they do the work, they get out. Um, they're not there to talk to people or interact, you know, that's not their goal. Um, but I do think they miss kind of one of the big things about architecture schools, which is getting to know others, uh, getting to know other people's interests, maybe getting involved with other things, you know, um, had I not been in the student union, I don't know if my career path would have been the career path I ended up on now. Um, you know, uh, there's a volunteer cafe at, um, U of T, which is a uh, cafe, uh, 059 still has, I think the exact same name in those moved buildings. Uh, so not in room 059 anymore. Um, and that has been around since the 1960s, uh, and it's volunteer run by students. And in part, it's that taking an hour to do your coffee shift means one hour you're not working on your project, uh, and you're talking to people, right? Yeah. So, um, being part of the culture of the school, I think is a really important part of architecture education. Benita, anything to add? No, I completely agree. I um, I didn't really make really um, close friendships during my bachelor's because my classes were 200. The sizes were quite big. And like I said, I would go to class, come home, you know, take a nap and then study if I have to sort of feel. Um, but with masters, since I was there all the time at 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 the faculty, that um, I made friends for life. That I, you know, one of my friends has a child now. She's married, and it's weird seeing her that way because it's like, <laughs> oh, what? I remember we became friends because we helped each other pin up our, you know, um, um, our boards for a review, and I was panicking, and she's like, oh, let me help you, and that's how we became friends, and you know. Um, so we made friends for life and the social aspect definitely helped because we sort of asked each other, oh, let's go do this. So we have a break in between and this, let's go to this restaurant or let's go play pool downstairs at um, the student center. It was that, oh, the cafe 59, there was a lounge space. And I remember like sleeping on the couch because <laughs> I was in pain, I had cramps <laughs> and I'm just like, well, you know, this is what I'm going to be doing. So. And my friends were there to help. So those are memories that I can't um, I forget. Um, and I definitely say uh, taking the time to volunteer has also uh, helped. I, I, can, I know I didn't volunteer so much when I was doing my master's, but I was volunteering a lot more when I was doing my bachelor's, which was also at UFT. And I carried some of the ones forward and I was part of the Hard House Art Committee, and we would do shows and uh, and look at art uh, as part of the committee. And I also uh, worked at the art museum, so I had you know I had a workshop that I had to work when I was doing my it's masters, and I'm glad I had to work a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that I had to work because um, then I would take the time that I was at the gallery to talk to people who were coming to the art shows and talk to them about art and also painting and drawing and go to opening nights for that. So it was just like two separate worlds in some ways, but also similar. And so I, I, I needed that break in between. To, uh, if you've been to UFD, you know, the architecture school is on the Spadina site and Hart House, which is where the art museum is near the uh, university line. So they're two opposite ends. So 
they pretty much have to go across exactly. where the boundaries of U of T's are, which was a great walk. That's your so, exercise right there, exactly. It's like a great <laughs> exercise that I loved it. And um, that also paved a lot of uh, my interest in art and architecture in that sense as well. Um, and talking to different people of different age groups, that helps because then you're not just uh, just in the silos of talking to only architecture-minded people who are only in studio, but uh, with, from volunteering at different uh, programs and events, it just uh, you just meet a lot more diverse people. I remember signing up to volunteer at a food bank because I saw a sign. I'm like, oh, let me go help out this one day and this will help with my mental health and it'll help clear my head because I can't always think about architecture. It, I met a lot of great people to there as well. So it's, it's, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to always volunteer for architectural related organizations. You could volunteer for similar interests. Um, you know, UFT has great clubs and I'm sure all universities have different committees and clubs that you can join and be part of that. And I think that would also be part of sort of your your time away from architecture, but also your developing relationships and friendships that would help you sort of expand your network and skill sets. And you never know who might need architectural services in the future. You yeah. know? <laughs> and it's, I think it's, like you said, it's healthy to get out of that, that bubble a little bit and, yeah. and not just live in, not just the building, but the world of architecture itself. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. a great point. Um, so at this point, you finish your undergraduate degree and you finish your master's degree. The next step, becoming an intern. So maybe, Joelle, you can speak about that for a moment, the, what that entails. Um, mentoring, that's an important point. So so what's what's involved in being an intern? Yeah, so uh, being an intern architect uh, is, is basically, um, it's this uh, period where you're still if it, training a lot uh, in learning how to actually practice architecture, but now you are in the working world, you are paid a wage uh, you, uh, it's not, um, there's always kind of this misunderstanding of what intern can mean. Uh, this is not the word, uh, intern as it's in, uh, a common, common use of, you know, uh, someone who, who is there kind of maybe working for free, although that is illegal in Canada and no one should accept that. Uh, this is, uh, actually, you know, you, you are a professional. You just don't have your license with the, with the OAA quite yet. Uh, you're in the process of doing that. And that requires, there's kind of three components to it. On, on the one hand, you're doing uh, your hours. So uh, you're uh, gaining experience in different areas of practice uh, and, and logging those um, hopefully every six months, although uh, I am not the shining example of that. <laughs> uh, and uh, you are also um, going to be talking with a mentor. Uh, and, and the mentor is someone outside of your practice who does have a license who can give you advice and kind of be a sounding board uh, and uh, that relationship really kind of depends on you finding someone that you can kind of connect and have a, that discussion with um, and that will understand also your goals like I tried to find someone who volunteered a lot as well and uh, understood the value of volunteering because when I started my internship I got a lot of architects saying why are you wasting time not working on your hours um, and you should just be focused on that and I was like well I, I don't want to do that if I can't volunteer and do other things there's and more so to life I, yeah, I tried to find someone who was bad. And there are many architects that are that. So you just have to kind of ask around. Uh, you're also doing your admissions course, uh, which is an OAA course. Uh, it's now offered online. Really, really great and really straightforward to do. Uh, and it's kind of covering a lot of aspects of practice. And then you're um, hopefully by the end of all that, you you will uh, take your, your exams. And they're not really things that you have to take at the very end. You can kind of take them halfway. I think it's two thirds of your hours, something like that, that where you have to be at. So it's not really necessarily the last step. Uh, you might want to do it a little bit earlier. Uh, I found it was easier to do once I had all my hours uh, that I needed for the exam, because I was like, I still know how to study from school and I am not that far removed from my masters that I have forgotten how to study for exams. Uh, so let's do it now. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's a, 
it's a weird time because I think you're you're working and you're a professional and you have all the responsibilities that a, a professional has. You just don't have the title of architect. So you're also, I, I almost say it, you're doing another job on top of your job. Uh, the job of logging your hours and writing what they are and keeping up with that. that that's, it takes time and it takes dedication to kind of get through it. And I think it's generally easier if you don't have any sort of commitments in terms of if you don't have anyone to take care of or if you don't have other sort yeah. of responsibility. Because if you have kids or if you have a baby on the way, and although I met a lot of people who decided to start their own firm or whatnot after they're on mat leave, which is uh, sort of interesting because it's just like, oh, maybe... You know, it's like, oh, I thought you would need to spend a lot of time with your child, but it's like, no, I got bored and I need to start my firm right now and bring on extra stress. But, you know, a lot of people thrive in that, you know, that sort of like pressure and environment. So it depends on people to people for sure. But if you, life happens, like we said, and some people, it might be harder to allocate that time. So they might push it further. Other people, they're just, hyper-focus and this is what they want and they decide to do the linear path. So it just all depends on um, person to person. And and like Joelle said, it is very, um, it is disciplined, um, especially if, you, um, if, it's, if you're studying during summer and you do have a full-time job that is demanding, then you do have to make a schedule for yourself and uh, sacrifice maybe your social life for a few months to study or you know, choose which events you want to go to or which friends you want to spend time with. And then the other ones could wait for a couple of months until you study sort of thing or say no to meeting your family for a couple of weeks when you're studying. So um, it is intense, but there's also resources and friends and, and study groups. Some firms have study groups that you can join and, you know, they'll keep you accountable. Um, but if you're the type of person like me, I just like to study on my own because uh, there's a lot of pressure when you had to study as a group because everyone asked, did you do this, that? I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. But it's not part of my schedule. Um, so it would get me more overwhelmed and anxious. So I like to study on my own and then touch base to see what I missed. So you can go at your own pace and then um, go from there. And also, like, um, there are four exams with the exact that you have to study for and um um, there is a pressure for you to pass all four of them, but you don't have to. You could, if you fail two out of the four or fail one out of the four, you can always retake it. Um, it doesn't mean you're a failure, but it's just, oh, you know, you just didn't do well in one out of the four, which you can retake again. And, and, and you know what to expect for and what to study. So it just makes it easier to pass the second time around it. Um, I, it is a long process, but it's a milestone that people want to reach. And if they do want to reach that, then go for it and get it over with when you still know to study <laughs> <laughs> or write exams and memorize things. You know? And you both touched on this a little bit. And I think it's an in interesting point, um, Joelle, about finding a mentor that, that suits you and sort of suits your what you're looking to get out of it. And Vinita about finding a social group to sort of work with. So is the, what kind of groups or, or um, I don't know, social, um, yeah, the social groups, uh, what kind of groups are there out there? And like there's societies, local societies, things like that. What, what should people be looking for if they want to get in touch with architects or people just in the profession just to learn more? Um, I'm part of BEAT, which is Building Equality in Architecture Toronto, and I'm an executive um committee member and we are a national or a not-for-profit so there's different chapters across Canada now and um, so that's one of the organizations that we do um, public programmings relating to women in architecture and diversity and equity so anyone is welcome to join and people usually come there to meet mentors or people that they look up to and if you're at an event like a, a seminar then and then one of the speakers sort of resonates with you you can go up to them and talk to them and and be like hey you know i'm looking for a mentor for my internship uh would you can we chat and see if we're right for each other because it's almost like you're figuring out if this person is right for you as much as them you know 
uh, because they're going to allocate time for you as well. So you just want to make sure it's the right fit. But I also think apart from the OA mentor, which is required if you want to get your license, you can have multiple different members who are unofficial members that you talk to and get advice on. This doesn't have to be one person per se. Um, it could be different people because uh, people have different perspectives and um, and views. And, you know, you should talk to as many people as you want. And, and if uh, architects, maybe your age or older or much older, depending on who you're interested in, I, I think people are almost always happy to share their experience and share their wisdom with you um, and give you their opinion uh, as long as they they have enough time to, you know, spare for you. And most often people do, and they're pretty great about it. Um, and there are other organizations like BETA, which is the Black Architects um, Association, and SOSA, which is the South Asian Architects. And I believe Johal is going to touch on the society, so I'm going to pass it on to you. Perfect. Sure. I'll, I'll take it for there, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> there, there's so many different organizations out there. Um, and, um, uh, local societies, of course, is, it's actually a really unique thing. Uh, only Ontario has them and they're kind of, a, a part of really our unique legacy of how we became a regulated profession. Uh, and, uh, a local society is just a, uh, um, a group of architects basically. And they started very social in nature about just chatting with each other, talking about each other's work. They're, they're much bigger now. Uh, but they really range. They're all over Ontario, and the smallest society I think has about twelve people in it. Uh, and the largest society, uh, that that one is the one uh, I do the programming for. Draft side of architects, we have two thousand four hundred members. So uh, very different in scales. Uh, and a lot of it has a lot of it is there are places to meet people. So we run networking events. Uh, we run lectures, uh, tours, and those are those opportunities to go meet people uh, outside of your office uh, that might have different points of view. So I find it really valuable for finding a mentor or or realizing that, hey, maybe there's something your practice is doing that you thought is standard practice and it is not. Um, you won't know that until you start talking to other people in other practices, right? So, um, but there's also the Architecture Conservancy uh, of Ontario, and they have branches all over Ontario, uh, and they deal with more kind of heritage issues. Um, and there's groups that appear uh, all the time. There's new groups uh, trying to reach different audiences. Um, and we have tried a little bit more uh, in the last few years to um, coordinate among all these groups and networks. So. Um, if you know one of them, uh, they probably have the contacts for all the other ones and can really help you kind of explore what are those other groups. Uh, because, uh, again, small profession. So um, even though there are many groups, we all know each other uh, <laughs> and, and, and the people who are working on them and are always looking for opportunities to kind of do things together. Um, but, yeah, there's there's lots of groups to to get out there and get involved. That's perfect. That's helpful. So. For anyone also interested in more information relating to like education or certification licensing, I'd highly recommend that they go to the OAA's website. That's the Ontario Association of Architects. That's at oaa.on.ca. And that um, also goes for anyone coming from, say, another country with an architecture education or license. Um, they can sort of see what what the, the route is for them specifically. Um, and that will bring us to the rapid fire section of the questions. So... We'll just quickly run through these, and don't worry, they're nice and easy. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how messy is your desk right now? 11. <laughs> My, mine's is about 7, because I don't usually work from home. But, um, you know, at my office, it would be more messy. <laughs> Perfect. Are there any favorite buildings or cities um, that you either have in terms of architecture? favorite building right now it changes by day uh, but today I'm feeling Robarts library uh, city uh, I will always have a love for uh, Caracas when I love I can't think of a favorite city off the top of my head um, but favorite building I really want to say John Andrews um, UFT building because I used to study there a lot and people used to hate the Bruins architecture but I loved it 
bonus points for an Ontario building. So that's great. Um, next question. So no budget or building code constraints. What would you change about your house or your apartment, condo, whatever it may be? <laughs> uh, to make it better acoustically so I won't <laughs> hear people talking from the bedroom <laughs> or people I, above. <laughs> and we also have... <laughs> I was going to say solid core doors. Yeah. <laughs> same, same kind of thing then. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next question. Fill in the blank. The best buildings are blank. Fun. Functional. Good answers. Good answers. Uh, and the last one. Are there any favorite resources that you might recommend? Like books, documentaries, websites? Uh, we mentioned some groups. Anything else where, where people can go to, to learn more about architecture? I was going to say JSTOR, you can make um, an account with them and you have um, sort of a limited amount of articles you can read. And um, I feel like I haven't been doing a lot of academic reading since I've been in the workforce. So um, I've been getting on that now. So I highly recommend it. Perfect. Um, visit your local archive. There are so many amazing archives uh, in Canada. So whether it is in your city, your local library, your town that have records and you can go see the original drawings of buildings in, in your town and maps uh, and even uh, early concept models. Uh, I'm a huge archive nerd and love spending time with the archives. That's great. Those are great answers. That's that's fantastic. Um, well, that wraps up this episode of Architecturally Speaking. We've been chatting with Vinita Savathasan and Joel Leon. Thanks again for both sharing your time and, and all your experience. That's been great. If people want to get in touch, is there a best place to do that on social media or, or LinkedIn, anything like that? Yeah, um, um, I'm on all social media platforms with my uh, name, J-O-E-L, and the umlauts on the E, then you know you're in the right person. <laughs> uh, but also as well with the Toronto Society of Architects, um, it's really where you're going to see a lot of what I share uh, because I spend more time on their social media than on mine. Uh, and that is T-O-S-O Arch on all uh, social media platforms. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I unfortunately don't have a lot of social media. I do, but I'm not active. Um, also, BeatToronto.com is where you can go find more information about Beat-related things, and you can contact me through that as well. That's perfect. Fantastic. Well, we'll be recording many more episodes of this podcast over the coming weeks and months. So if you have a question about architecture or you know someone who might make a great guest or you just want to offer some feedback, you can send an email to podcast at oaa.on.ca. And you can also visit the OAA's website at oaa.on.ca. And if you've enjoyed this episode, um, please leave us a review, share this with your friends. That'll help us create more episodes in the future. Architecturally Speaking is available wherever you get your podcasts and also on the OAA's YouTube channel. Be sure to check that out for the full video of this recording and like and subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. And until next time, I'm Ryan Schwartz and this is Architecturally Speaking. <laughs> <laughs>